Welcome to the live edition and interview edition of the King Perspective. My name is Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. And today, I am very fortunate to have with me um, two dominants that are in a dominant-dominant relationship. They are the deluxe and sovereign king from the wonderful country down under Australia, the even Western Australia side. Welcome, and thank you for your time, both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. So, what I really find interesting about your story is, and it's something that we don't really talk about as often as the bedazzled butt plugs of constantly make conversation of the BDSM communities, dominant and dominant relationships. It seemed to be an anomaly. Why do you two think that is? Because people automatically assume that it's um, something that it can't work, and people assume that if you are um, in a BDSM relationship, that you have to have um, a, a dynamic. Um, and what Kane and I have realised is that we are definitely compatible on a life level and a values level, and um, we don't have to have a, a dynamic as you would find in a traditional BDSM, um, you know, couple. And um, people shy away because they think that's not possible, but we've, we've discovered it's quite possible. I think um, something else to consider is that people use language and labels to define sort of their reality and interactions. And a lot of people, I think, um, not necessarily are afraid to challenge the idea that the D type must go with the S type, but they just think that that's kind of the zeitgeist, so it feels normal. And right. I think when one of the most rewarding things is actually um, being confronted with that despite connecting on a lot of other levels with Luna, but having a great time just agreeing to challenge it and sort of blaze our own trail. How did your community first respond? Was it your friends that you both let know in the BDSM community, or was it like the community in general you are both a part of? Like that's depending on how big it is, your scene is there? Yeah, we, um, obviously our friends found out first and, you know, that's normal and we're, we're part of the um, set life, um, for want of a better word, community. I don't think it's community, it's an online, you know, place for us to socialise, I guess. And, you know, we were open about it there. But, um, and, you know, obviously with our community here where we live, you know, People became aware of it through our lunches and the events that we go to. Um, the response was generally positive. You know, from our friends, it was really positive. Of course, there's going to be curious questions about how does that work and who's actually the dominant. You get questions like that. So, yeah, you're both doms, but you know, who's who's the real dom? You know, also assumptions from some people who've been in the scene for a very long time that perhaps I was, you know actually submissive or that I'd been a dom for a long time and now found a dom that was actually able to dominate me and now I'm submissive but just telling everyone I'm a dom. So, you know, there were there was a variety of comments, but mostly people have been curious and interested. And then there was a whole group of people who were just like, Oh my God, two doms, I want to be co dominated by you, you know? Yeah. So there's that group of people there's that group of people too. So, you know, it's been varied and, and mostly positive I would say. I don't know if we have anything to say. Yeah, well, I mean, people knew us separately and we were friends sort of separately before we got together. So I think for a lot of people, um, it was more uh, just an, oh, yeah, Kane and Luna are together, look at that. And yeah, like like Luna said, a couple of questions here and there and, and a few people who obviously have a king fantasy of being walloped by two doms, which is fine. But um, no, no uh, nothing awkward. I mean, a lot of people... In the West Australian scene, are, um, are pretty relaxed with it and more curious than anything else. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Do you ever, in part of all that ambiguity and that questioning and those you know hollowed whispers that seem to almost permeate the air, although we don't tend to find them as much in real life interactions as we do online. Um, did you ever come across the whole, oh well, you know, Kane just really wanted a top. Luna or really just wanted to kind of get in her pants and this was all, you know, a ploy. There there couldn't be any interest there. <laughs> um, 
buying it. You've got great hands to get into. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look, I mean, like you said in, in your opening question, people aren't as brave to your face as they are online. Um, and I have no doubt that um, some people who may be uh, fairly happy in, in a particular box or narrow lane might have been like, oh, well, you know, oh, it must be this because I've never had any experiences different or I've never heard of anything different. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I can't really speak to it. I, it doesn't really register on my radar, to be honest. I'm more interested in making sure that, um, you know, what Luna and I have is, is sacred and we're free to explore it and be comfortable in, in what we sort of choose to define ourselves as. That's really... I mean, it's quite interesting, especially coming from, you know, I'm looking at it from the, you know, the psychological perspective and the dominant perspective on my side. Was there ever a pull for you at any given point, King, that you were like, oh, God, I, I really wonder if she would submit to me or vice versa, Luna, for you? Was there ever that consideration? Uh, for me, I mean, of course, always curious. I, I don't know. I, Probably not, no, because when I first um, met Kane, like we were we were friends for a long time, so I never saw him as anything else other than, you know, in the beginning as a, a fellow dominant who um, I got on really well with and that who I clicked with and dealt with. And so I never once entertained the idea, I guess, that he would be willing to submit to me and, and never asked because all of our conversations about King were from that perspective. So... You know, I never pursued him in that in that manner. And then, you know, when we began to click more and gel more, and you know, and started dating, um, you know, again it didn't come up because we'd already gelled from that you know values, friendship, you know, relationship perspective, and not from a um, you know we didn't we didn't tackle the relationship from who's the dom and who's going to submit. We never had. We've always tackled the relationship from. This is a really great relationship, and we get on great, and we, you know, there's a potential future here for us. So, yeah. So the short answer is no. I never really entertained that. Yeah, from um from my point of view, um, when Luna and I started to connect, there was such a um, I guess I was really um really impressed and taken, and really sort of respected um her her confidence and her intelligence and um, I sort of saw. Well, there was never there was never any competition for starters because I saw a, a partner in crime, you know, a teammate, and um, I, I suppose everybody has, you know, you put yourself in a situation if you've got a, a few minutes to spare and you have a think, you're like, oh, well, you know, like I wonder if I could like try to be submissive or do something or that submissives would do or like change my mindset, and I sort of look at her and I run those things through my head, and I'm like. Just doesn't seem like us because we're just such good teammates and good at making other people's lives deliciously miserable. But right, yeah, it doesn't really work. <laughs> would would you say your relationship evolves more from a vanilla type aspect where it's more normalized, or do you think it grew? Or obviously, it was enhanced in its strength by your shared love for the lifestyle. But what really became that draw for the both of you when you said, you know what, all right, we need to go out on a date, you know, let's let's put our nicest on, let's let's head down to a nice, have a nice sit down. Uh, that's a good question. Let me gather my thoughts for a second. This is why I like asking. No. So, so the question is, like, you know, did we evolve from vanilla, or how did it go from vanilla to to where it is yeah, now? Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the best way to articulate it. From yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of an evolution, right? I mean, the the for the exception of the, I would definitely say, well, well definitely because I don't have a number, but the infinitesimally small number of people who are professional in the lifestyle that this is all they do. Um, they get paid for it. You know, they've made their own dungeons for a dungeon. This is this is their life. They have nothing outside of it. So they're, in essence, 24-7 inside of the lifestyle. But for the two of you, 
did you kind of evolve from that side? Or, you know, I knew you, I knew you were friends first. You were in the community. You knew who each other were. Did it kind of spring forth from that mutual adulation for the lifestyle, or was it really, for all intents and purposes, more of a, hey, you know what? I really just like you. I'd like to kind of go out on a date and see how this is going to work. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, thanks for for reframing that for us again. Um, I, I think probably both is is a good answer. Um, like it or lump it, even people that live, you know, twenty four seven, super involved lifestyles and are confirmed that this or confirmed that that, you know, they still have aspects of their lives, fundamental aspects that are vanilla. Um, and I think that first of all, our lives I got to to know um, Luna because our dynamics were what you would call both the same as, as dominance. It wasn't hugely on my radar um, in terms of partner compatibility, but absolutely for, you know, cross-pollinating evil ideas and having a laugh about things we enjoy. But the initial um, thing that really glued us together for me, and I'll let Luna answer in a moment what it was for her, but it was actually um, vanilla aspects of her interests and personality and her values that uh, really grabbed me. and. I think when you're looking for a life partner, um, you know, one of the most important things is you should match up on values. And first of all, you need to know what your values are and how to define them so that the other person can understand them. But I feel for me that once we connected on those things, um, I just wanted to see what kind of fun we could have mashing two dominant styles together because, like, God knows, I'd never heard of it. So. <laughs> Initially, I hadn't entertained the idea of, you know, having a dog as a partner because everyone assumed that would never work, including me. And then as I got to know this person, realised how compatible we were on a vanilla sense, you know, like changes with our values and our interests and our goals. Um, and then we started going, okay, well, how would this work? You know, we, the, more we, the more we saw each other and talked about it, we started talking about, the kink side of things, and we talked about how, how would this actually work, and then we started talking about all the mischief we could get up to together as a team, and what our household would look like, and we started dreaming about that, so we started dreaming about vanilla things, and our vanilla lives, and what we could build together, and we also started dreaming about a kink life, and what that would look like, and what BDSM would look like as, as two dogs, and so it, it grew organically on both, on both sides. And I'll tell you that the most important foundational aspect of exploring something like that is you need to be secure in yourself and you need to not let your ego interfere with what the two of you are trying to create. And that's, a, that's an interesting point. Was that difficult for either one of you to table or did it just come naturally? You know, like I, I must admit, I was probably more sensitive about it than Kane, if I'm completely honest. Not with Kane, but with the community, because as I mentioned earlier, there were you know a very small group of people who assumed that because I was with another dominant, that I was submissive, because people assume, you know, it's usually a male dominant and a female submissive, um, which is silly because there are heaps of female doms. Um, but, you know, so I was probably a lot more sensitive about it and, like I said, not with Kane, but with with the perception that there was out, that was out there and it was never a competition between Kane and I, but I became a lot more sensitive about making sure people knew that, hey, I'm, I'm not submissive here, I'm, I'm still the old dog that you've known for many years. So, um, so I wouldn't say it was an issue, it was more like a tender point. And then I eventually realised, you know what, <laughs> I can't control what other people think and I can only control my happiness and what I think and when I let that go that actually I noticed it less and that's because it just became non issue for me. You know? Yeah, I don't um I, I never had any fucks to give. Sorry, just swear. No, no, that's quite okay. I mean I, yeah. you know it's, it's just really good enough. Um no, please go ahead, Kate. I'd love to hear you elaborate. Yeah, no, um I once once I I realised um what a strong connection the two of us have created I was, um, I was kind of proud. 
to be honest. And not, you know, I'm not a showboater. I don't like attention all that much. Um, but I was, I was really, really happy to focus on building what we had and, and navigating those very sort of uncharted waters. And I mean, not without bumps, but um, I turned all my focus inwards. So that sort of validated me, and I, I wasn't really worried about what anybody else thought. Well, I mean, it's it's just interesting because I know we don't, the community doesn't talk a lot about this, just like I know they're very far and few between our submissive and submissive relationships, but the difference being on the couple that I've talked to is they don't seem to work because there, there seems to be no guidance, if you kind of look at it in that view, where for the two of you, you both have extreme guidance. You, and that guidance and that foresight happens to line up, so you two become like this, for lack of a better word, it becomes like a perfect storm. I'm sure it's it's not with, you know, there have been issues somewhere, but, you know, if your ideals and what you want, not only in a relationship suit, in the lifestyle suit, marriage things, sharing someone's things, all of those things kind of come together, and it really is like a perfect storm and it becomes this anomaly that you would think would be more you know, I guess revered is kind of a strong word, but I mean I really can't like I told you both when I first spoke to you, um, when I ran into your profiles, I'm like this is fascinating and I decided to you know, to watch and, and follow because the story is so far and few between. Yeah, well, it, it really was. No, 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 I apologize. It, the reality was, it, I never saw ego. So I never really saw it as, oh, well, yeah, Luna's really secretly topping Kane, or Kane's really topping Luna. It doesn't, there is no, there is no that appearance, at least outwardly. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. Um, the, we, we still have conflict and negotiation, and we've, you know, had rough patches like, like any other couple would, I suppose. You you could say it's analogous to having those situations in a vanilla sense, but we just have the extra considerations to take that having a kink lifestyle sort of overlays on top of normal life. Um, but the you know the biggest thing that keeps us a solid unit is um, that there's like I said before, there's no competition, and we also both know what our our goal is, and that's you know, to make our lives better for each other and have a, a great time and, and, and reach harmony, you know, sort of along with, obviously, you know, life goals and whatever else we want to do. But um, that attitude, I think, has um, allowed us to get away with criminal amounts of fun. <laughs> so did you both come up with the idea for your house? Was it was that a joint endeavor or was it, you know, one of you said to the other, you know, I've got a, I've, I've been tinkering with an idea, what do you think? How did that? How did the house evolve? Well, actually, it, it started with a discussion from my side. It started with a discussion. Kane has a wonderful piece of writing on his FetLife account um, about uh, called the household. And obviously, when I was starting to get to know Kane, I went through his profile and find his home <laughs> and um, read everything that he wrote because that's how you kind of you know just like you did with us, I guess you know you go and. You know, watch for a bit and so you stalk somebody basically. Yeah, it's all you know, does the, the, the personality match what they're saying online, you know? And I came across this writing that he had written and um, it was actually beautifully written. I loved every word of it. But there was no there, it was it, the household is really it's a from the perspective of a, a male dom with a household of, of, you know, female submissives, you know, with him. And I love the story, but in the in it, I was trying to place myself. I was trying to think, well, where would I fit into something like this? You know, I'd sort of fantasize about where where do I fit in? Because I didn't I didn't fit in with any of the girls or the women in the, in the story. I need to rewrite the story with Luna in it now. I <laughs> he think. needs to rewrite it with me in it. So you know, I brought it up. You know, I started talking to him about the household, and you know, like like where does the idea come from, and does he imagine that? You know, that could be a real life, and I was talking about how it would be wonderful to have a household like that, and how I see myself in, the, in an environment like that, and we just started spitballing, really. Like, it was more like a fantasy discussion, like, you know, what, what did that look like for us? And, you know, from there, the discussions became, well, what, what, 
could a reality look like? And you know, what can, how could we get something real in our lives? And um, and it sort of grew from there. And then the discussion stopped going from the household to what does our house look like? You know, so right. that's where it started with me. And and Kane will have a different perspective. Yeah, well, for me, it, it um, followed on from you know, I just applied the same concept that I had to the fact that we were both dominant. When confronted with this this anomaly, it's like, well, hang on a second, maybe I can own this, maybe I can explore this and turn it into something awesome. And then all of a sudden, Luna was like, hey, I, I read this story and I thought it was really great, and you're a very handsome and attractive writer, and, you know, I totally want to buy you a whiskey. No, she didn't say that, I was kidding. But I did buy him a whiskey. Yeah, she did buy me a whiskey, that was nice. And, you know, we got to talking about um, households, and, you know, I mean, the great thing about kink is that you can make any kind of relationship you want. You know, the labels and stuff are just there for guidelines and help you find the people that you think would be compatible with you and so we sort of said to ourselves why don't we seriously like do some napkin math on this and see whether or not it's viable and of course taking into account how many spoons everybody has for other people in their lives and exactly why you're going to create the house we thought well you know we're we're pretty relaxed and and open-minded in terms of dynamic and kink and we don't really want to restrict too many people from coming in but we really want to make sure that we find people that don't necessarily match our kinks, but match our values. So that when you have people in the house, you know that whatever they're going to be doing, you know, they 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 fit well with the other people in the house and everybody's trusted and everybody's looking out for each other. Um, the acid test, I think you could say, is, you know, I wouldn't let anybody join the house who I wouldn't go and help on the side of the freeway if they bomb a time, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that's really important because you, you know, you, it's that reciprocal back and forth of the human condition. You want someone to be genuine. Yeah, for that reason. Oh, okay. For that reason. you don't know, now you're not only married, you recently added to your family. Is this the first of many? We would love to have many, but I don't think that's in the future for us. Like, we're getting a bit old, long in the tooth. Yeah, really. we don't but, want to be um, ancient parents. Yeah, hopefully one more, but um, we'd be very grateful just just to have this one, which is a delight and probably um, going to be a handful for somebody one day. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, I would, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, lucky for me that I'm I'm a daddy as well as a dog. Um. So, yeah, I suppose, um, just finishing off my thought about the house, um, for, for that reason, for the, the reason that we select on values, not based on um, community or um, posse or however you want to sort of um, describe it, right. um, the house will never be large and membership will never fluctuate on anything but the most glacial sort of basis because I, I think when you're dealing with kink, um, you really need to take your time if you're going to build a um, authentic and trusting relationship with somebody who's not a partner for a house, you know? Absolutely. You, you know, you two have been together quite some time now. It's you just constantly, you know, work that ebb and flow back and forth. And you keep refining your styles together. Not only does it make your relationship foundation even stronger, does it enhance your dominant styles? Yeah, I, I would say it does in some way. In some way. I mean, there's, I absolutely love, you know, hasn't been an awful lot of opportunity for us to indulge in in BDSM just recently because of, you know, a new family member, you know, takes up all of that time a little bit. And But I absolutely love the, the feeling I have of, um, you know, when we are with our house and we are, um, you know, we are in the BDSM scene, how how wonderful and fun it is, and how um, absolutely safe I feel having somebody like a partner in crime with me, and you know, I, for want of a better word, like I feel that I feel like the power exchange is even greater because I feel like there's somebody else there making that power exchange even greater. Something gets you. So, yeah, so, and it's somebody who gets you, and it's just, it's, it's like, use Kane's phrase, minimal amounts of fun to look over at somebody who's also the dominant in our household, um, 
and to be feeling the, that car exchange with, with, you know, people in our house. And, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's given it another flavour. And it was challenging at first, but, you know, at first, I, I mean, I've always, I've always been a dom on my own. So, you know, at first it felt like, is this going to cramp my style? Is it, you know, <laughs> and there's somebody watching and there's somebody else here and, you know, now I have to make sure everyone's involved and, you know, so initially I thought maybe this is going to cramp my style a little bit. We've got very different styles, you know, completely different styles of dominance, um, Kane and I. So, you know, initially there was that, but now that we've found the flow and the groove of it, um, you know, it's, it's very, very fun. It's great. Yeah, it's just enhanced, enhanced who we are a little bit. Yeah, from my side, I would say, um, I would consider time in relationship. Um, when when you think about um, things that you learn in a in a BDSM or kink sort of way, the more that you do protocol or or any kind of activity that you do, the better you get at it. And if you do it more with the same person, you reach a level of uh, comfort and ease where it becomes almost second nature and, and a bit like breathing in and out. You don't really have to think about it. And Luna and I have sort of reached that level where we don't necessarily have to communicate anything beyond any sort of specifics we might need because we recognize each other's flow and, and energy and I know where I can best be utilized and you know she knows when she'd like to invite me into a scene or um, yeah we've, we've reached a bit of yeah we've reached a bit of, of synergy that really works well for us and is is absolutely lawful for any poor masochists or submissives that like a call between us really quite interesting when I was listening to you say that it's enhanced your power exchange a little bit to even, you know, to take it to a whole new level because you're not only talking about feeding off of the energy of the person you're with, so a submissive or a masochist or a slave, and that reciprocal relationship going on there, then you're talking about having another dominant present who then you're exchanging that power and that flow with and where some that I've even seen in my time and I'm sure you have as well can feel cramped the way you're describing it it's almost kind of that boost in your energy that takes it to the next stage of your dominance yeah well in the beginning I mean there was I wouldn't call it friction but the negotiation was necessary because you know Luna was entering my space when I was playing and and I would be present in hers as well and you know there have been times when we have sort of played separately again because we work very hard on making sure that you know insecurity is um is explored and dealt with and, and then filed away right um so you know that definitely happens and uh, so I guess when you think about anybody that hasn't been in a multi-year relationship or you know marriage in this case um who's dominant, who uh, is inserts themselves or is brought into another dominant space, then on such a short time frame, I think it's probably pretty normal for them to experience a little bit of disruption like that, yeah. Like we know. So do you both equate time to dom- co-dominate? Or do you strictly now make it a solo practice? Or do you have that crossover still? Um, yeah, so initially we um, we were co-dominating um, our submissive, who's still in our household, and there's, that dynamic's changed a little bit, and, and I can go into that a little bit further. But initially we were co-dominating one person, and I also had a male submissive of my own. So we had we were co-dominating one female submissive, and then we, I had a male submissive of my own. Um, and that became complicated because even though it's it, it was a lot of fun and you know we we ironed out the kinks in terms of um you know being in each other's space and um, what became really challenging with the situation was because we're two dominants unless one person was delegated you know the the, the main contact for um Booth, who's our submissive um you know, we had every time Poop asked a question in order to make sure that we were on the same page, we would have to make sure we met, sat down, talked about what our response was going to be, agree on that response, then get back to Poop. 
and just to let people who were confused, did you ask one person and the other person, the other person gave a different response? Like parenting. Like parenting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, you know, initially that was that was a real challenge, and so um, it became it became a little bit of a little bit exhausting um, after a while. Like, you know, doing that every single day, and especially as the relationship grew and you know we became close, and, and because. Kane and I have different styles and we were negotiating, okay, you know, who, you know, who does what in the scene and who's doing this and I'm far more sadistic than Kane, so it was just about making sure there was space for that and Kane is very, you know, has got uh, this this very big caring and daddy dom side, so we had to right. admit this sadistic side of me in a scene with Kane wanting them to come in and, and care and look after and make sure everyone was all right, you know, and so that was like, you know, not friction, but causing that a completely different kind of spin on, on things. And so there was a lot of negotiation that needed to go around that. And after a while, we decided, okay, this we can still be together in scenes and we can still do a lot together, but we need to actually condense it down to, you know, if there's a DS relationship, it needs to be with one person and then the other person can have a different type of, you know, BDSM relationship. So... At the moment, Kane is, you know, Kane and Sue have a, an MS relationship, actually, and it's wonderful, and I'll let him talk about that. Um, and Sue and, and I have a um, sadist masochist. She's my masochist, and I top her. So I, I, I don't see myself as her dominant or as the person who controls any decisions for her. That's all on Kane's side. But then right. her and I, you know, we scratch an itch with each other in terms of sadism and masochism, and that works really well because... Truth wouldn't necessarily get that from Kane. He's not a heavy sadist at all. So that actually works out great because sorry, sorry, my child is very noisy. So that actually works out very great, great because you know we kind of it's kind of like we've divided, divide and conquer. You know now right. all of the boxes are ticked and every and there's no you know there's none of that exhausting back and forth and negotiating all the time. Can I say that is it impossible to do? No, I don't think it is. You just need to be realistic about the time that it takes to do it, um, and then negotiating that it takes behind the scenes, right. and also agreeing on, you know, what happens if you know there's a question mid seat. Who's going to be responsible for making sure what happens? Who's going to be making sure you know? So this it's just it doubles the time for anything right. because there's two people making decisions on it equally. But you get better. Yeah, you do get better. So if you, if anyone out there listening is considering doing it and doing it properly, where you're truly both co-dominating, know that it takes a lot of a lot of communication, a lot of communication all the time, um, and and then it's very doable. And then there's that the clarity part for the submissive to make sure yeah. that they doubly understand coming in has has. Obviously, well, I mean, I'm not going to say obviously, but in the beginning, did Truth have any clarity issues that required a lot more patience and understanding on your behalf? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was a it was a new situation for all of us having three people to deal with these sort of things um, instead of just two. But um, I don't think I can really add anything. On top of what Luna has said, there's just the communication is it takes a lot of effort. It is complex, but it gets easier. You just have to put the hard yards in in the beginning. I actually asked you that once, and you know, she was like, "Oh, you guys decide what you want to do. I'll just do it myself." <laughs> <laughs> and you know, so she kind of made it very simple for her in terms of, "I'll wait for them to get back to me. I'm not going to stress about it because that's not for me to control. They control that, and when they're ready, they'll get back to me." So. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's that stressed her out an awful lot at all. Actually, there was probably just that beginning phase of us getting used to how does this work, and also I think there were a couple of times, you know, right in the beginning, like maybe our first ever couple of teams together, where Kane and I were like, okay, how do we tackle having another dom in my space? Mm. And you know, I'm sure there were moments where Truth was standing there going, okay, I'm just going to stand here and wait for somebody to. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the onus is on the D-types in that sort of situation, but, yeah. I mean, what can you do? That's the nature of it. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you publicly? 
No. No, we're um, we're quite private. Okay. Yeah, um, we're not. That, is that just because now with the new Princess Edition, have you always been private? Um, I, I was actually, I'm, I am quite happy to play, play um, publicly with, um, as long as my, my, my partner that I'm playing with is happy to do that. Right. And also it depends on the event or where we're at. I'm less likely to do a, like, a public event um, unless it's something very um, light, I guess. Private parties, I'm more than happy to do something if the person I'm with is happy to. But um, as a as a three as the three of us, myself, Kane, and Boot, you know, um, not all three of us are comfortable with that. So it's something that we just don't do. Yeah. So sorry if you clarified that. But um, yeah, we are. Yeah. Uh, in absolute privacy, where we're speaking about just our own house, then we're extremely comfortable. Um, fair, whatever goes, goes, is fine. And close friends, I guess, in our house. Yeah, um, and private parties, uh, perhaps, depends really on, I okay. suppose, the company and the connection. Right. Um, but I kind uh, of was I, actually going to be leading towards that question next. Is, oh, know, yeah. Yeah, if you, if, you do, if you do the private, I know the public scene, obviously, with COVID and all the restrictions and, um, you know, but everybody has their determinants of whether they want to play publicly or privately, and some people make it their life to be in the public eye, while others, you know, it's more reserved. They want to keep it at home. It's more intimate that way. Yeah, well, we, we um, I, I believe, um, it's just my personal sort of outlook, I think that um, the way that I play uh, King Can Be DSM wise is um, sort of very special, private and sacred thing that I share between people that I have a connection with. But like you say, other people thrive on um, attention and being in the energy of the crowd and, and more power to them. And that never has there, there's never ever been that draw to play publicly at all to just to even explore the scene no. in a greater context. Um, not overly. I'm I'm happy to watch, and I've given a few um, talks at sort of minor um, at minor community. Um, Gatherings and events, but no, I'm, I'm playing would probably wouldn't do anything for me. Skillshare's yes, but yeah, not not like doesn't excite me. Yeah, but something that probably excites me more, you know, if if like like I said, you know, Ken and I are very different styles. So I I love humiliation and degradation. That's that's one of the areas that I, I absolutely love and like to um, hone. Um, and you know, so for me, if if I can enhance that publicly. Then and the person I'm with um, also finds that something that, that they'd like to explore. Then I'm quite happy to go there. But again, it's you know, I've I've been in situations where you know I've um, played at a public event, like a big a big event that we've had here, right. and you know, and had um, in mid scene, you know, had heard comments, oh, you know, she's she looks evil. That would make me feel so uncomfortable, you know, and like you know, if you. The comments that I could hear in the background sometimes pull me away, and so that's why I'm more likely to play publicly at a private event you know, in front of other people privately with people I trust and who understand my dynamic and understand my personality rather than having people who don't understand context and my relationship with my submissive and or my masochist and what that looks like and, and being faced with comments like that. It just frustrates me. Do you tend to, I know you're a little bit more profiled, I guess you could say, verbose online or between posting, obviously on social media for like FetLife and Kane is, do do you ever feel the questions of, you know, how do you deal with your social media presence and, and other people's perspectives on your relationships and submissive inside of your house, do you let it blow off? Do you find yourselves constantly defending the barrage, widely accepted? You know, everybody's kind of got an opinion on anything nowadays, so. Um, you know, like you say, I'm a, I'm a lot more verbose. Like, I, I tend to share a lot more, and I, I probably, I used to share a lot more than I do nowadays. It's probably more of a time thing. Um, you know, 
I started running my own business a few years back and that decreased my time and now with the with the bug it's even harder. But I've always seen um, social media or, or FetLife as a really great place to share my experiences and be honest and authentic. Um, and everything I share on there is authentic and sometimes probably, you know, I've, maybe I've overshared a little bit too much in the past. Get you in trouble. And it might get me in trouble <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, but I guess I've also learned, you know, with maturity. I mean, I think I've been on Pet Life for, I don't even know how many years now, but, you know, I think I've learned over the years that, you know, there's some things are good to get involved in and and, and comment on and some things just don't bother. Um, it's just not worth the trouble. And so Yeah, it can become a headache because then it everybody's, a headache. yeah, then you're constantly <laughs> fighting an uphill battle. Correct. Or the, and, you know, or the people who are just trying to troll intentionally. Yeah. No, I'm quite happy to keep sharing my journey because a lot of people find that um, really helpful and useful and, you know, I, I'll share tips. I, you know, I'm a group leader on a couple of groups and I like to keep those group discussions going when I can, or, you know, and I, I just share things that I'm passionate about. And if people don't like it, they don't like it. I tend to stay away from arguments. If they do find something useful, that's great. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what I think about that, really. Um, and yeah, but I, I tend to avoid arguing if I can, unless something really gets to work. What about um, solicitations in your inbox that you get? Yeah, like more. Yeah, the million-dollar question. Yeah, I'm sorry, mate, I beat you to it. <laughs> Thank you. I think, uh, interestingly, you know, I've, I've fielded, you know, many. I, like, ran, this might be random or it might just be, you know, I, I applied the whole that might, um, you know, the, the new option, or it's not so new anymore, where people need your permission to um, message you. And since I've uh, put that, it's taken away a lot of the headache. I don't get so many anymore. And, you know, I just reject messages that I just I just can't be bothered. I don't respond to them anymore. I just reject them. Uh, and that's been a great tool. But interestingly, I found that, you know, the older I've gotten, the less messages I get. Or or might just be the reject button, and but I still I still get a fair few, and it's like I feel like there's like waves of newcomers. You get a wave right. of new people, you get a wave of new people messaging you. You reject them all, and then it goes quiet again, and then a couple of months later, you get a wave of new people. And I th- I'm not, I'm actually not that fussed by it to be quite honest. It's just it's just something that happens. You know, I'm a lot more relaxed about it than I was when I first joined and was getting, you know, creeped out messages all the time. And now I'm just like, oh, whatever, you know. And you find the authentic people and the rest just eventually leave anyway. What about you, Ken? Do you get, you know, do you find that when you go on that you're getting inboxed by, you know, the the bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, please take me under your wing and you know, I'll do anything because I have no limits crowd, or has that completely <laughs> subsided? Um, so I I do get messages, but um, I would say infinitely more rarely than Luna. Um, I suppose that the biggest, I mean, yes, I do, and I try to be, um, like, graceful and informative and, 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 you know, tips and suggestions because, you know, a lot of people that, that do come on pet, um, you know, they'll do some profile surfing and they'll fire off a bunch of messages and, um, you know, bless their cotton socks, but they're all enthusiasm and no brains. So I try to um, steer them here and there to a group or, and as well, you know, like keep the communication private because a lot of the time when somebody asks something in public on a group on pet, they might get um, absolutely jumped on and harassed as being stupid or impolite or rude or, or um, thinking pet life is a dating site or, you know, all of a sudden, everybody wants to come out and prove how how um, wise they are in the ways of pet BDSM. Sure. Um, when it comes to, uh, I absolutely um, leave Luna to her own devices. She shares stories with me about some of the more creative emails that she gets. Um, I also, I mean, my my slave uh, Fufinia, she's a big girl. She can handle herself. Um, there are. Times. Maybe you don't request her to put explicit warnings that anybody contacting her must contact you or Luna first, and if you do contact Luna or Boof, that you know hell hath no fury than two dominant scorn. All right, yeah. Fufinia will 
kick your ass harder than either of us. Yeah, she's more dangerous than both of us. Trust me. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't, I don't. I think it maybe springs from having um, tried so hard to make sure ego doesn't interfere with any of our relationships. Like, I don't have my head so far up my bum that I'll get offended if somebody contacts uh, Rufini before they contact me. Um, because, like I say, you, you know, she has to live a life outside of our dynamic as well sometimes, and she's right. a big girl. So, um, sometimes there are some aggressive or persistent people. Um, right. And I don't know whether it's a numbers game or an enthusiasm game, but I've had to contact people. I've had to, I've had to contact people in the past and give them a, a little knock on the head to just get them to cool their jets a bit. Right, a little bit of a course correction. Yeah, you know, you don't have to puff your chest up. Just say, hey, mate, you know, pull your socks up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, uh, what I actually use Fet for is is just a way to. You know, keep abreast of events happening in my sort of local community, and um, and enjoying sexy pictures and funny comments, pretty much. And so, what's next? You know, what where does the the House of Karis go next? Well, um, well, personally, you know, I mean, right now we're focused on our young little family, and Coop is part of our family, so you know. Where where we're not having as many like full on in depth scenes in our household at the moment because of the new edition. What we do have is still our dynamics, and so right now our dynamics, right? So you know, Poof spends an awful lot of time with us in our home with you know our our child is with us, and uh, you know, Poof is part of our family, you know, and we we see her as you know a family member here. And, you know, our, our, um, our daughter um, absolutely loves her and, you know, we see that continuing for a great number of years until our child is um, a little bit older and we can get back down to the more heavy stuff again. Right. Um, and if I guess for me in the future when I've got more time, you know, I'm, I, you know before, I, before I fell pregnant, I was actually actively looking for... Um, a, a male submissive for myself again, the submissive that I'd had, um, that I'd been with for a very a long time, a number of years. Um, but he's still really part of our household in that he'll always be welcome to attend, you know, events with us and parties with us. But for me, you know, when I've got time again and um, family allowed, I'll be I'll be looking for that new addition to our household. Right. Um, I definitely see who the real dominant in the house is. Yeah, she's totally the dominance in the house. She, yeah. she rules the roost. Tiny mistress. The tiny mistress. <laughs> Curious, what would be your approach in the future for your daughter? Will you tell her everything? Or is it going to be 100% disclosure? Obviously, some details notwithstanding, but how, what will be your, because there's a lot of parents out there that are involved in the lifestyle, one fashion or another, married or single yeah. or widowed, whatever the case may be, you know, they've yeah. got to balance the desire of their life to be a dominant or be a submissive or be a bottom or whatever the case may be, but they also have a child and, you know, they have a young boy or girl or, or maybe teenager. Some people are quite adamant about, you know, I tell my child everything. Others are like, you know, really private. Yeah. How have you two discussed that? Yeah, we've, we've touched on it, and, you know, I, I think every, no matter what we say, somebody is going to disagree with us. Every parent has a different perspective on this, and, you know, sure. for us, we think, you know, some things just need to remain in private. I, I, I'm not intending to actively lie to my child about anything, but I think, you know, just some things aren't meant to be shared and aren't meant to be, you know, you know. I Look, I never wanted to know about my parents' sex life. And I right. still don't, you know what I mean? It's just like, this is something I don't want to know about. And I don't think, you know, I don't I don't know of many kids who would be 100% comfortable with that. I just, I, maybe some do. There probably are a lot that are. But, you know, for us, I think it's just, this is just something sacred and remains for us. And maybe when she's older and she's an adult and if she knew anything or suspected anything and she outright asked me, I would be honest. You know, I'm not going to lie. But I'm also not going to share every single minute detail because I just don't think I don't think that would be 
necessary. Okay. Do you want to add anything? Uh, yeah. Look, I think um, I think it's my job to make sure that my children can operate in the world and be successful and have great lives. Um, you know, to give them that, I suppose you'd call it vanilla toolkit. Um, and if you know somebody's child decides that they want to join the kink community or they turn out to be kinky, um, that's entirely their decision and you know if if they reach out of course you want to be there to help them and explain things but I don't think necessarily that it's something that should be a required part of a child's education from their parent fair enough and yeah it's like you know there'd be like I said every parenting style is maybe different and for every book that's been written there are there's a reason why there's thousands of parenting books because no one really there's no definitive answer, and as long as it's healthy and safe and sane, that's pretty much all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, look, and you know, it's, again, it's going to depend on how, you know, what age, you know, my child is at. You know, it's like we're not going to be openly having, you know, you know, having scenes in front of our children. It's just, it's just never. I just don't see us ever doing that. Of right. course, we're going to be in our house. You know, we're. That's Part of our household, there are there are things in our household that are definitely you know BDSM minors. They're not going to be displayed out in the open, and you know my child and her friends come over, and you know they're all over the place, and people are like, "What's this?" You know, so I think it's just some things remain in private, and then you know we might change our mind. You know, when she's older and asking questions, we might decide then that you know maybe now's the time to discuss it, and you know I think I think it's more just assessing where we're at and and, and what stage we are in life. Yeah, if they want to explore it, we'll be there for them. If not, no big deal. Well, that's great. I mean, I think it's a really open view, you know, well, especially as the world is evolving now and we're, we're accepting of so many things. It, it, I think, you know, it always comes back down to that age-old discussion. What don't we discuss when we're at the dinner table? We don't, we're never supposed to discuss religion. We're never just supposed to discuss politics. But it's... I really don't think those are the two most taboo subjects. I think what it comes down to is we never talk about sex. Mm-hmm. We all do it. We're all going to potentially do it with someone or at least alone. But how do we discuss that? Well, I think I don't think sex will be a taboo subject for us. I think our job as parents is to really um, teach our children about values and about finding right people and absolutely you know you know you know if you're having sex what does that mean and you know discussing those things I I never want that to be taboo but in terms of the details of my sex life I'm not going to tell her oh by the way you know we've got a dungeon downstairs and you know I you know I beat people up in there you know I'm not never going to go into those details unless she outright asked me if that was something that I wanted to do or you know I, I just think there's a way to do it in a healthy way. It's, it's not about sharing the details. It's about sharing the values and the discussion around healthy, having healthy sex lives and right. you know, healthy fantasies. And you know, you know, if you are kinky, she can't even tell me she was kinky one day. You know, um, you know, I'd want I'd want to have a really healthy discussion about what that looked like, and I could share some of my experiences for sure. But I'm not going to give her the details. You know. Yeah, and I think that's the one great thing that the lifestyle provides. We, you know, because there's so many back and forth negotiations, unlike normal relationships or vanilla style framed relationships, we get used to, you know, negotiating and, and talking about things we like and don't like. We get used to rejection because yeah. rejection is almost a constant in the lifestyle. We're we're far more adaptive, I find most people in the lifestyle are far more adaptive to rejection than a person who is non-lifestyle. Where, you know, if, if you tell them she didn't like something sexually, they, you know, obviously it's quite upsetting. But in the lifestyle, when you talk to somebody about certain sexual proclivities or, or a scene you want to do or, or something you want to try, they're like, oh, I'm either into it, I don't know, yeah, maybe, or just no. And we're all okay with that. And yeah. it's really gives us that, you know, it gives us another kind of layer, and it's just really interesting to hear you talk about that, that both of you, even as far as, you know, 
what the potential potential view that your princess could eventually have. Yeah, well, the important thing is, you know, if you get the fundamentals right, then they'll have a good base for exploring whatever it is they explore. So that's sure. important. Sure, and I'm sure there's there's going to be people out there that are going to go, well, you shouldn't tell your your child anything. Or conversely, you should be completely 100% honest. I think, I, you know, I agree. There are things that are private. They're private for a reason. And there are the things you don't want to know about. I don't want to discuss my parents' sex life. I never wanted to know. I'm not, you know, idiotic enough to think that I just sprouted from a stork. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear the, the sordid details. I'm fine with that. I think, you know, even at my age, I still kind of get impulse thinking about that. But that's normal of the human condition because we don't want to think of our parents in that way. No, we don't. But, you know, interestingly, though, Ruth, you know, a few years back, my mum came, because my mum doesn't live here, and my mum came to visit, and I hadn't seen her in, you know, maybe five years, um, and we were making dinner together, and she interestingly dropped a juicy tidbit that I hadn't even solicited about my, her relationship with my dad and how my dad in the early days had wanted to have a, a poly-style relationship with somebody else. Wow. She didn't label it poly, that she didn't have a label for it. I don't think there's never labeled poly in those days. But right. she was sharing her, her, you know, a little bit of her heartache around, you know, what that felt like for her at the time. I can and, imagine. Um, and, you know, it was really eye-opening for me because I was like, wow, you know, here I am, you know, exploring those same things in my relationships. Um, and it was really interesting hearing it from a perspective from then, and I, I felt incredibly lucky today to have the information that I had available to me um, that my mum didn't have at the time. Right. So, yeah. So that's interesting too. Sometimes, um, sometimes, yeah, you just you don't you you have an interesting discussion, but it's not the detail, you know. I you know I'd really love to have the both of you back because you know there's something interesting. I, we talked about earlier in the week when we talked about your views and how you, when I pose the question, if you're poly, and your response to that, I don't want to go into that now. I'd really love to have you both back on when time permits, obviously, to discuss that. Because, you know, from, from all intents and purposes, the relationship does look that way, but I know you have another name for it. And it's really... I like the way you both describe it, and I think it really brings a different view and level to considering another avenue of a multi-relationship functionality between three adults that's not necessarily under the poly label. Yeah, we'd be happy to chat to you about that anytime you like. Oh, that would be great. Well, look, I, you know, I want to thank you both for your time. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Again, you know, having two dominants that are working together, it is it is an anomaly, but you two really made this perfect maniacal storm together. It's really quite interesting, and um, I'd definitely love to explore more of this with you guys in the future. You know, when you like I said, when you have time, and the, and your princess approves, of course. Hopefully next time we'll be better organized and have somebody be able to look after the princess while we chat to you so you don't have her babbling around in the background the whole time. But I think you know that it does provide that layer for those for those that do have families that are that are involved in the lifestyle. Like how do we make it work? Well look, they're making it work. And it's like you said before earlier, Kane, you have to be willing to Put in the hard work. You have to start having those discussions and sitting down. Like, okay, I want to get involved into a scene tonight, so maybe you'll babysit, or we'll, you know, vice versa. And you work out those details. It's not always look pleasant, but you make it work. Yeah. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what's the end goal? The end goal is to have a fulfilling relationship where people get to do fun things, and you know, you might have to suck it up for a little while so your partner can have some fun, but then they'll blossom for it and reciprocate. It's all about give and take. Absolutely. Well, look, I want to thank you both. Um, I, it's been an absolute pleasure. You know, the, it's given me a little bit more insight to look into a deeper part of the lifestyle that's 
whether it's talked about or whether there's more dominant dominant relationships out there that really should be, you know, not necessarily on the forefront talking, but I think it's something that it's another conversation we really ought to be having. Um, you know, I don't know. It's I think some people think of it. It's like you said earlier. They don't want it. They think that at the end of the day, ego's got to step in front. That there can't. It can't be a a joint adventure. And yeah. you could miss out on a lot of great opportunities because you want to let your ego get in the way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you've got to see yourself as a team. It's us as a team. Right. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd say if you've ever considered it and then thought it would never work, um, reconsider and if you can find the right person to do it with, you will have enormous amounts of fun. Um, and challenges too, but it will be very rewarding. I want to apologize for some of the audio, mainly on my side. I want to thank both Luna Lux and Sovereign Kane for joining me on this episode of The Kink Perspective. This was an interesting and wonderful look inside the world of a dominant, dominant relationship. It was my pleasure to host them and look forward to speaking with them on their relationship views and how they define themselves with inside of that matrix. Until next time, be safe and stay kinky.